negotiation is just part of the culture, much, much more in the culture than it is in our own, especially in Germany. You know, you, you get a price and you don't, you don't really negotiate. You say, oh, okay, that's a fixed price. No, it's not. Everything is negotiable. Hey everyone, it's Norm Ferrar, aka The Beard Guy here, and welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about why and how to get, uh, why and how to find 30 to 60 potential suppliers to get and get their proposals. So we're also going to be talking about what are some of the ways sellers can save while sourcing products, what are some of the ways to minimize the risk while working with these suppliers and finding a different country to source out of instead of China. So this is something we've been talking about a lot. But uh, anyways, we're going to get into detail on this uh, podcast. So welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. Okay, like I said, we're going to be talking about how to contact 30 to 60 potential su uh, suppliers and get their proposals and why. So our guest today is an Amazon seller uh, since 2014. He owns two brands and he also sells his products through two of the largest uh, retail businesses throughout Germany. With his Signify Global Brand uh, product sourcing, he and his wife, they sourced more than 3,000 product, products and saved uh, Amazon sellers tons of money. We're going to find out how. Uh, well, please welcome our first time guest, Sebastian Hertz. All right. But before we do that, let's have a word from our sponsor. I want to give a quick shout out to an incredible group of sponsors that help us produce this podcast for you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Lunch with Norm would not be possible without the support of the following sponsors. Post Purchase Pro, Clear Ads, Goldstein Law, Honu Worldwide, Extreme Power, Jeff Schick Law, Netfluence, Startup Club, and Dragonfish Brand Management. Thank you, and you're awesome. Now back to the show. And let's bring in Sebastian. Hello, sir. Hello there and a happy new year to all of you. Uh, yes. You've, like uh, way, you've gained new followers. There's uh, another one right here. <laughs> Woo! There we I got You're three now. Yeah, yes. There we go. <laughs> now, the big deal with this, too, is that if you're interested, I said it in the group. Um, so if you're in the Facebook group, I will be posting when I go live. And if you're interested, uh, you know, just watch it. If you're not interested, just ignore it. And uh, this, again, the reason I'm doing it is so uh, we can gain followers uh, on the Facebook page. And that's one of the things I'm stressing is that you build a community to help gain followers. So um, anyways... If you want to watch, you know, the old guy try to do something new on Amazon Live, uh, then, you know, join me. I'd be happy to have you uh, ask questions and see how I'm doing. You can critique me. Simon, don't be too harsh on me, okay? All right. So let's get into this. How's it going, Sebastian? Uh, fantastic. I mean, I'm really, really jealous of your uh, studio. I got myself a little Christmas present as well, one of the Opspot cameras. I hope the connection is good enough. But look at the background. We just moved into a new place and uh, it's by far not as pretty as yours. But besides that, I'm doing very well. Of course, hope the same for you. 
Oh, that's that's great. And you know what? This really, when when you start looking at how you can create a studio, it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Mm -hmm. a, a few sound tiles or a green screen or whatever you want. And uh, it's interesting what you can do when you start to learn about it, right? And, and that's like anything. When you talk about your Amazon journey, when you talk about sourcing, mm -hmm. if you don't know how to do it, then you're going to spend a lot more money and you're going to learn from your mistakes, which I have done. So let's use that as a segue going into the sourcing model. And I was surprised when you came back with a topic 30 to 60 suppliers. What what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> well, first of all, I think I actually got my second New Year's resolution by now. First of them, uh, the first one is actually to look into home automation. And second one is, yes, to make this year like yours. That looks just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, uh, the advantage we have is, you know, we do sourcing. So we may find some really, really good deals on that. And maybe we should start a, a new brand for for uh, studio equipments <laughs> um, there you go next one out there um talking about 30 to 60 suppliers i mean the reason why we do that just a couple minutes before the show i've received another whatever message and he said i had uh, now you know received like three proposals and another one from a trading company um and this is usually of course the typical way how you would start and, and source your own product but if you imagine you don't only have like three or five proposals, but let's say if it's going well, 10, 12, 15, 20, 25, or even more proposals, um, the good thing is then you really know the market. Then you know what the market price is. And then you also do know what you uh, can negotiate with all of those proposals. It is tedious work. It's a lot of work. Um, but I'm, I'm a seller myself since 2014, like you said. And uh, it does help a lot and it helps literally saving millions of dollars either for a new product or also for when you have a successful product already in order to improve your margin. Okay. So when you're reaching out to all these people, first of all, okay, you're a sourcing company, but would the average seller go to like an Alibaba or something like that to go and source? Or is this something that you're saying, oh, let the sourcing agent do it and get them to go out and source for you. I mean, both you can, of course, do. In the beginning, in my very self, of course, I've done the sourcing myself as well. And we actually recommend anybody who, who wants to get in the business and really want to learn it, then, um, well, go through it on your own. And if you're sourcing in China, I mean, of course, there's Alibaba or Yaoliobaba, the, the 1688 uh, or the other platforms. And for some other countries, of course, there's also Alibaba and you you can, and I believe personally, you should go the first time through this yourself so you know what is the effort, what are the tricks, what are where are the stepstones, um, and uh, what may you be missing out on. Or what, you know, if, if you do um, some tasks yourself, you, of course, understand the process a lot better. So, yes, Alibaba for China is definitely a way of finding lots and lots of potential suppliers. You have any tips for Alibaba? just stick with it um go through with it i mean alibaba is not the only source you will find um, that you can find a lot more suppliers as well who are for example not listed on alibaba or only on the chinese pages um on the other hand i, I guess what would it be like let's say for a beginner of course when you go into alibaba um if a product is tough to find then of course also contact a potential producer who may or may not 
produce a product of a similar type, whether it's the, the, the whether it's a wallet, because that's my first brand, uh, a similar looking wallet, or a, if you see they are making bags or touts or um, any other products made out of a specific fabric. And you see it's not exactly your same, but you do have this fabric um, that you want to have in your product, start contacting them as well. The main product image does not necessarily always have to be exactly like your product. If you don't find any suppliers, go look around and find some who may um, produce your product as well. Understand that, dig deep. And for Alibaba specifically also, when you're searching on your own, try also to find uh, suppliers in other countries. You can select it in there, but I guess that's also what everybody knows by now. Yeah. Uh, well, not everybody. A lot of people just think of Alibaba for China mm. and they are expanding. You know, they they see the problem that's going on, I think, in China and uh, they're expanding to different countries as well. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention is that uh, on top of that, when you when you are sourcing, one of the things that like with a product innovation side of things, uh, you're going out there, you're looking for something different. You've done your competitive analysis and now you're trying to find something a bit different. And, you know, uh, Tim Jordan and I did this on a call once and it was just a fluke uh, that we did it. But uh, we were showing people Alibaba and well, first of all, we were using helium 10 mm -hmm. and then we were looking for a tortilla press. So, mm -hmm. uh, we found a metal tortilla press and some of the people that are listening uh, have already heard this story, but we found a metal tortilla press that was selling for $29.99 on uh, Amazon. But when we went into Helium 10, one of the major keywords that we found or one of the niches were would, uh, was a wooden uh, uh, press. So we went into Alibaba, we found a bunch of suppliers that had wooden presses and then uh, I think it was Tim that came up with it and he said, why don't we source this in Guatemala and we can say we have an authentic uh, tortilla press. And we we never followed up with it, but we just showed it for our class, um, like our, our the uh, uh, Centurion League at the time. So it went really well. And that's this is my point. You can have a product that is made with plastic. You might be able... and. Afalabi is incredible with this. Maybe it, mm. it's a resin. Maybe it's a wood. Maybe it's aluminum. Um, it, it, you could go and source different materials. And I think that if you just stick with, oh, I'm going to get a plastic shoe stretcher from the same manufacturer everybody else is getting it from, that's what you're going to get, a plastic shoe stretcher yep. that everybody else is selling. But maybe yep. it's wooden. Maybe it's metal. You know. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, it's a fantastic idea, Norm. I mean, so many times, you know, the change in the product can start at the very beginning, just like you say. Everybody says tortilla press, maybe whatever, out of plastic or so. Think differently and say, I'm changing the first input. Really good thought. Yeah, and when you when you do see that, just to expand on that just a little bit, then go to uh, Pinterest or Etsy and see what the crafters are doing, you know, or these, like, how are they packaged or is there anything different? That's usually where you see the more of the, more of the artsy fartsy artisans, you know, uh, show their products. Like for me, I'm in the beauty business. So soap, you know, I can see how it's packaged and, you know, you, you can't really, you can change 
So you can go from, you know, a hot pour over to a cold process. So there's lots of different types of soaps. But um, anyways, uh, going down a different rabbit hole. The other thing I wanted to talk about uh, just a little bit here, uh, what are some of the ways sellers can uh, save? And we've talked about this before in the podcast, but what are some things that they can do to save while sourcing their products? Mm. I mean, one of the ones, like I mentioned before, is just simply, of course, getting many or as many proposals as reasonable as possible. Um, you know, you can, of course, go by the 80-20. You, you could contact 500 or 600 suppliers. It would just simply, of course, take more time. And the question then, you know, between 30 to 60 and a few more, what can you really get out of it? But definitely, I mean, one of the things is to, um, of course, definitely get more proposals out of it and compete and compare or let those suppliers compete against one another while you have such a huge backup. Um, behind you to say if that one person doesn't want to do it well we have several other ones uh, in the com in, in the supplier file still as well whom else we can contact another one what we've seen of course over the last two years um, the main reason for most of the people of course going away from China for the ones who were selling in Europe was the price and the time um, issue of shipping just the plane shipping of course as well as now the time with the production cycles for the U.S. sellers, it was additionally also still the uh, import taxes, the Trump tariffs, where you have additional anti-dumping uh, taxes from China. So going away to another country could or should, of course, um, as long as it's not China, reduce the import tariffs. Um, on the other hand, as well, going for a U.S. seller to Mexico or sourcing in the U.S. itself uh, makes the shipping time, of course, a lot smaller, a lot shorter as well as the shipping cost. Even though right now at the moment, you've probably seen all of this, that the shipping costs at this moment from China to the rest of the world are so extremely cheap. Um, at least they were until like the last few few weeks, like really, really cheap. Yet again, I mean, establishing yourself um, a local, another supplier, you have a backup as well, plus another parity where you can say you can compete with one another and then say you either pick this one or that supplier, depending on whenever you need it and where you need it from. Right. Yeah. And you're right. Uh, shipping has changed from China. You know, we were paying so much, uh, you know, during the COVID era, um, you know, $23,000. I've heard it closer to 30 at times, like $27,000. It was just ridiculous. So anyways, making up for it uh, now, uh, there's one other thing that you were talking about is the tariff codes. Now, if you're, if you're in China mm -hmm. and you're working with a sourcing agent or with uh, a broker of some sort, you want to make sure that you're getting the right tariff codes, right? Mm -hmm. Because that could, that could be 30% difference in your overall um, cost of goods. Yep. That is absolutely true. I mean, you can, of course, check with the local um, authorities as well. I can tell you, for example, the ones we're here located in Germany. So I myself am German. And uh, at least for the German one, I could guide you through. It's called EZT, EZT Online, where you can click through and find out which product um, you you have and what the import uh, taxes on, on this one will be. Another one that just came to my mind, of course, is as well to saving the uh, cost, which I wanted to mention before, 
is if you have a product, um, it's always worth, I mean, in, in, in almost all of the cases, it's worth it looking into a product that sells well to already or start looking into the product again to find a new supplier for, of course, a cheaper price at better or uh, same or better quality. With this one, very often, I mean, especially the best sellers and for some of the aggregators, we're saving literally millions of dollars in a single product simply because they're selling so many units. Um, as well, when you are buying a, uh, selling a product, even if it's like two or three years later only, I mean, definitely look into getting better prices, not only from the same supplier, but also from additional ones. So there may be, a, the, there's a next, there's a question I see right now. Ah, sorry, it just popped in. Um, you just, of course, look into your existing products and think if you can make them cheaper. Uh, one is, of course, getting it from a, a, a new supplier or negotiate better terms with your existing supplier. And the second one for me personally, I used to make, you know, small cards, RFID blocker cards, where there are hundreds and hundreds of offers in the market by now. And I always try to outbeat my competition with a fantastic and a great packaging. Until that one day I noticed, you know, the people they're ordering and the packaging wasn't quite expensive. I had like a packaging up to like 70 cents, up to $1 per piece, where the product itself was, I mean, an equal amount. So we just doubled the product cost. And later on, we found out, I mean, it's quite logic, of course, in the end, to say that Amazon seller, Amazon customers, they did not seem, first of all, they don't have the comparison one-on-one. -on -one, so they just get a product. Um, and when they get our product, they maybe think, oh, okay, nice packaging, but they don't have the comparison against the other one. So ask yourself always like all the effort you put into your product, does the customer really value it? And does he have at, at all any comparison to other products to see the really additional value of whatever you're putting into your product? Now I've started taking this product, we're still selling it, but I reduced my packaging. I made it much simpler, um, much cheaper, but you know, Amazon customers don't care really at all. You should, though, look into great product packaging when you also have the chance to sell into um, into physical brick and mortar stores where the customer buys based on the packaging. Yeah, I'm. Um, I, it all depends on the on the product. I mean, you can have really nice looking packaging without spending an arm and a leg, and you know, it's finding that. I I talk about like three levels, right? The the Chinese supplier level, which is just trading dollars, the average cost, and then the premium price. And if you're if you're working with that average cost, or if you're finding that your competitors are getting lots of sales, and, and if you see their packaging is in between, then that's okay. You don't have to spend like there's in the soap business. Uh, you can get a tuck box, you can get, uh, and this is real. you could just wrap it in saran wrap, you know, and that's the least expensive slap a sticker on it and out it goes. And there are sellers on Amazon that do that. Um, we spend a lot of money on our packaging, uh, because, and it's only a $10 product, but, uh, we spend a lot of, uh, because of the competition that's out there and the perceived value, but there are things like, you know, plastic shoe stretcher. Okay, you can put it in a cello pack. Um, we're working with a fitness company right now that over the last, just over the last, I don't even know if it's been a year, they went crazy. He had a great product. It's at 1.8 million in sales right now. And it's the worst packaging out there. And, and I'm sorry if you're listening, but it is. It's, it's a poly bag and it looks horrible. 
So we're developing a package for them uh, that's going to make it look better. They're the highest dollar on the market for this. He's yeah. got a bunch of competitors trying to knock him off now, but um, he's at least it's a it's around a, a forty dollar product, and he's got competitors selling between twenty three and twenty seven, and his packaging is it sucks, you know. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, we we've talked about it and. It was just recently we're on a call this afternoon where we've got to develop uh, that packaging so he can stay in the ball game, especially at that higher perceived value. So, and actually that's one of the things I, I wanted to talk to you as well. What happens if you want to get packaging? Where do you normally go? Do you let the manufacturer hand, handle it or do you go out, find people? And if so, how do you do it? I know the same thing. Usually, the, the the suppliers or the producers they make some basic packaging, but usually, especially when it's a product where you say hey, it's it's soap. I mean, everybody has bought soap before, so you do have a level of comparison, and it makes absolute sense to create a better packaging and a, a better um, experience for the customer simply because he bought soap before. He most likely didn't buy an RFID blocker card and will buy another one and will be so fascinated by the greater product packaging, but by one where he can compare it, absolutely focus on that. Um, it is hardly ever the case that the supplier of the product it, itself is also the producer of the packaging. Right. So either he knows some producers for packaging already, or we specifically search for them. So the same thing, you start looking for product packaging uh, manufacturers and or have some in your network already with uh, whom you just want to uh, then discuss, okay, next one. Most common one is, of course, like a little small paper box, but you can make them very high class. Let's say if you make a, a fancy glass set of, um, you know, for wine drinkers or so, you make really nice boxes, sometimes even wooden carved um, with satin cloth inside and a magnetic closing and a small, you know, Chinese um, door handle hook. And all of those things you can do as well. But then you, of course, need to look for specific manufacturers who can do that as well. If you have something on mind, um, if it's something like this, for example, a nice wooden box, you would actually also, for example, if it's China, go into Alibaba and specifically look for another supplier who creates wooden boxes or gift boxes and so on. Um, you just find out. The most important thing is, of course, you need to know what you want to have. Right. The easier the product packaging is, the easier it's, of course, also for your producer of the main product to either know somebody already or you got to start searching on your own again. Yep, very good. And also, uh, let's go back to negotiating. So I know uh, my partner over at Hono, he's negotiated a ton. And his favorite, <laughs> it's crazy, but his favorite negotiation skill is silence. So yeah. what, he, what he'll do is he'll be back and forth, back and forth, negotiate a price. And then if he still thinks that it could be better, yeah. Um, and he doesn't, one of the things I, and I really want to get this across, if you lowball and lowball and lowball your supplier and they're not making any money, they're going to look to skimp somewhere, or yeah. they're not going to be too enthusiastic to make your product. Yeah. So it's got to be a win-win and it's a fine line to that win-win. So what, um, what, um, Afalabi will do is he'll send the email back saying that he's interested uh, but we need to have it at this price. And he knows that we can get it at this price. And so the usually this, I have to go to my general manager to discuss it. Okay. Yeah. Then they'll come back and they'll, you know, give a penny off. 
And so Afalabi will go and send a second email just saying that uh, we need to have it at this price. And then, it, and he might negotiate in between, but then he goes silent. And yeah. then a week will go by, two weeks will go by. And the manufacturer usually is now emailing you every other day saying, hey, you know, my, my general manager just said this, the president of the company said this, and then, excuse me, you know, you've got your price. Um, yeah. uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And I said, that's, um, and the art of negotiating uh, is that's also mentioned in that book, but um, yeah, he's really good at just being silent. Yeah. There's, there's two things I wanted to add. Uh, remind me in case I forget. I, we used to live in China ourselves as well. That's one of the, I want to show you why this actually works um, with the uh, walking away or being quiet. But the second one, which I think fits much, much better here as a negotiation strategy is also, everybody has heard this. I need to ask my manager. Yeah. Do the same thing. You always, of course, all of us, we're founders. All of us, we are the ones who take the decisions. We're the ones who should say yes or no to a price. Um, make this little trick. I mean, on the, uh, on the other hand, they don't, they don't know you. They don't know your company. So when they're bringing back a price and you're trying to negotiate it down, you're trying to get a lower price, you get a new offer, and uh, they try to push you to close, of course, and then you'll say, it's like, okay, okay, but I'll need to check back with my CEO. So you bring them to say, uh, to understand that you're not the boss of your own company. You can't take the decision. So there's a higher level on the backside. Later, you come back and say, sorry, my CEO said this is too expensive. We can't do that. And they understand the same way as you usually understand. It's like their boss said no, and you don't have any influence. You can use this as a negotiation strategy. And the boss can, of course, always be your wife or your better half, um, whether it's the real boss or not. But then say, sorry, my boss said, no, can't do that. And here comes the point of the walking away. Um, we used to live in China. I was six years in Asia. My better half, 12 years, uh, three years in China, my wife, nine years. And um, in China, there's an, it's called the fake markets. Um, you know, and it's like one of the first things that you start seeing or start or get to know once you start living in one of the, the cities. Um, and it's usually, or it's quite often, it's an underground market, which is still open to, to public um, and it's, it's nothing illegal. Well, and you walk down into those markets and you, you find everything, of course, with fake brands, backpacks, clothing, watches, um, and, and, and anything else you can just really imagine with any of the, of the brands. Or you even go to a tailor and say, I want to have, we very often had our, our suits uh, made, tailor made. And you, of course, negotiation is just part of the culture, much, much more in the culture than it is in our own, especially in Germany. You know, you, you get a price and you don't, you don't really negotiate. You say, oh, okay, that's a fixed price. No, it's not. Everything is negotiable. And the way of turning silent, um, imagine you go into this one shop and there are hundreds of shops next to one another. Everyone can offer that. Or if he wants to snitch a deal, you know, he offers you a product which he doesn't even have, but he goes over to his body and negotiates a deal afterwards after he sold it to you. And when you give them a lower price and you say, you know, too expensive um, and you negotiate a little bit more and then all of a sudden you start walking away and say, sorry, no, this is too much. And you walk and all of a sudden you hear it from the back end. They come yelling after you because they still see the potential. They still know, hey, I go lower with the price. I make less money, but I still make money. So this turning silent 
is a is a really good way of course also of negotiating and getting them to come after you i'm glad you agree <laughs> or else you know i'd have to let go of afalabi <laughs> but uh okay now we're at the bottom of the hour and usually at this time uh just letting people know especially if you're first time listeners that we're having the wheel of kelsey at the end of the podcast today and uh if you're interested in the wheel of kelsey it's hashtag wheel of kelsey a tag two people and you get a second entry um and today we've got a special uh giveaway and sebastian why don't you talk about that uh, sure. Thank you very much, of course, for this opportunity. Um, we want to offer to say, you know, if, if you in your sourcing or you see some, some needs, of course, in your sourcing, we can have a call about 45 minutes, maybe up to 60 minutes. It will be directly with me or with my better half, if you prefer to talk to my wife. Um, she's the real brain actually behind the sourcing. She's doing sourcing for 18 years uh, by now. I'm doing it for what, roughly like about 10. And um, we want to offer you to say, we look into your account, we look into your products, we can say, hey, how well are you set up? And we'll look, are there any potentials where we say, hey, yep, there is definitely something where we think you could get lower prices. And or if you have any questions of uh, when it comes to sourcing, whether sourcing in China, sourcing in other Asian countries, in uh, anywhere all over the world, we'll be there for you. And take the time that it will be not the team, but directly myself or my wife, and you may choose. Fantastic. All right. And I'm going to throw something in there too. Um, our tariff terminator. So, uh, <laughs> this is the, if, if you're not sure about your tariff codes, uh, we'll go and try to find you the best tariff code to match your product. So that along with that 45 to 60 second, uh, 60, 60 minutes. second, 60 <laughs> minute co uh, conversation with Sebastian should work out great for anybody on the uh, call today. All right, so now let's go over to uh, one of our sponsors. I want to thank Jeff Schick Legal for sponsoring this episode of Lunch with Norm. You've probably heard on the podcast about Amazon suspensions. They're very real. It can happen at any time. And when it does happen, how do you get out of it? How does the little guy like you and me get out of these suspensions without paying an arm and a leg in legal fees? This is where Jeff Schick Legal is here to help. For a very low monthly retainer, for only $89, get access to Amazon attorney Jeff Schick. That's right. You can sit back, relax, enjoy that cup of coffee while listening to the Lunch with Norm podcast, knowing that you have an advocate and a partner in your business success. But wait, just mention Lunch with Norm and receive 50% off the first two months. Get the protection you need and visit jeffschick.com today. That's J-E-F-F-S-C-H-I-C-K.com. Now let's get back to the show. You know, I just want to talk a second about Jeff Schick. I know he's a sponsor. Um, I ran into him in Mexico a year ago. Oh, yeah, it was almost a year ago. And uh, anyways... We had a chance to sit down and I, I just thought he was a, another Amazon lawyer and, you know, just, just shooting the breeze. And he told me his business model and that is, uh, it's a re it, it's a recurring fee. It's a subscription for $89 and for $89, you've got a lawyer 
on retain uh, like a, a retained for your account. So if something comes up, and I'm saying this because over the last two weeks it's been absolute hell with some of our accounts um, and Amazon. And here's a guy you can contact. He'll stand up for you. Like I said, be an advocate. And these are some services that you might spend a couple thousand dollars for. And yet it's $89 a month. It is the cheapest form of legal, even though you don't need him right now or his firm. Who knows in three months or, or, or you know, four months, five months. But uh, I would highly recommend that you take a look at his plan. Um, he's an awesome guy as well. Anyways, I'm not just saying it. I'm, I, I, I think it's absolutely incredible what he does. Uh, if you're listening, Jeff, you know, uh, two thumbs up because it's the first model that I know in Amazon that does this sort of thing. So um, very cool. All right. So let's get back over to you, sir. Uh, we've talked about, you know, negotiating. We've talked about packaging. We've talked about, um, you know, some of the tips. But what are some of the ways to to really minimize your risk when you're working with suppliers? Everybody's on edge uh, with, you know, with things happening. Uh, suppliers might take their money. Uh, you have to pay 30%. Some people pay 100% up front, which is crazy, but like 30% up front. What are ways to minimize that risk? Exactly. That was the very one very, very good one, of course, to do is uh, get your terms and conditions either if it's possible in the beginning to do a 20, 80 or 30, 70, or as in most cases, like 50, 50, don't ever, don't ever, ever place any um, full payment upfront because you do want to have after at least mass production. And that's number two, quality control. Please do one for every order. Um, I'll give you a few or one small anecdote uh, of a customer who didn't. And um, if, you have a long-term relationship. I think that was a good question by Simon, of course, about building long-term relationships as well. But if you do have a long-term relationship with a with a, one of the producers, you can always, you know, step by step push this for further, um, for for going from 50-50 to let's say 20% upfront, 30% after production, 50% after receiving the goods. Where the later on and, and more and more you will work with this with those producers, and if your product goes well, they may even accept zero percent uh, upfront. And uh, you know, the bigger a company goes later on, it may also be that uh, everything is being produced without any um, upfront payments or in between payments. Unlikely when it goes, I mean, especially in the beginning, but unlikely when it goes over the big pond if you have those distant. Um, relationships, but if you're sourcing, for example, in China, in uh, for for the U.S. sellers in the U.S. or close by, there's a much higher chance, of course, getting even better um, terms and uh, conditions. But the second point is, don't only do quality control in your samples. Like, let me give you this the story. There was a, a German guy um, before he became our customer. He came to us and said, Sebastian, I've done the biggest mistake. Do you guys also do a quality control? We said, yes, of course, we do quality control locally in all those countries where we have all our ladies. Uh, we are, by the way, all 100% remotely located. So we have like 15 or 16 um, of our ladies sitting inside China, locals um, who are part of our company. They're not freelancers, but they're our employees. But what 
they um what most of the people do is you know you order them two three four maybe five samples from different suppliers and you check those samples and so did he um, and he picked from those three he picked a uh, number two he went into mass production mass production went through um everything whatever went on order time was uh, okay and he started the shipping found the logistics company who gets this uh, as quick and safe and um, as cheap as possible over. He received his goods in his warehouse, opened the container, opened the box, and what did he notice? Uh, the product did not look like sample number two at all. Mm. It may also quite often be um, that suppliers who may or may not be producing this product already before, that they quite often you know, buy samples from other producers and send those samples out as their own. And if a customer decides to say, I want number two, then they start trying to build the product. And that's what they actually did. So they did not, or most likely did, they did not um, produce this product before. They got it from a different factory and then rebuilt it. Um, but what he didn't do <clears throat> is as after mass production to have another quality control um, running over the mass production and please do that and there's no additional payment um, to the suppliers or producers before quality control has not been confirmed and checked and, and approved and of course the Chinese or whoever else they calculate quite well so even if they screw up with the whole production they they may still have enough money to produce a second time and they want to fulfill of course the order in a good quality and only then you make the payment when the mass production quality control has been, um, well, approved. You may not be able to do this on your own. Or I heard Simon, he's, he's flying over to his suppliers quite often a year, which is fantastic. Simon, you are so far ahead of so many other sellers who really do not do that. But if you don't have a chance you know, to do quality control on your own, send a sourcing company, send, send us there, send somebody, find a, a quality control inspection company, and make sure that at the in the mass production you get your quality control done. Yeah, that's so important. And I think we touched on it earlier on. When you <laughs> excuse me, when you have that final product, have a sign off. Have that sitting. You have one. The supplier has one, and it's got to meet the specs now. And that's got to be um, when you're when you're creating your um, your. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? When you're creating a PO, you're putting that into the uh, information yes. or when you're creating your pro forma, it's got to show that it's part of or it's, it's got to be exact to the signed off spec sample. If you right. miss that, then that could be an issue. Um, but anyways, uh, it's so important that you do that. It's so important uh, with the inspection and it's very inexpensive to do. Um, all right. So, oh. I was going to ask about uh, protecting your funds. So a lot of people will mm -hmm. go and use, because it's so simple, That's Alibaba's gross. trade yeah. assurance. Yeah. But if they go to a sourcing agent, so we go over to you or another company, how can yeah. you protect the customer's funds? I mean, either you, for example, use the Alibaba um, buyer's protection, yep. or on the other hand, you use an escrow service. Or on the other hand, what we, for example, don't do, we don't touch your money. We don't receive any, we're not taking a percentage of the order volume. We are, you're getting the direct contact to the supplier. And I think this is one of the best ways, of course, to do sourcing because this is the way how we do sourcing for our own products as well. 
make sure that you get the contact to the supplier directly yourself and are not paying over um, a sourcing agency who probably gets a percentage either as a kickback or they're adding a percentage on top or they're handling the money. And then, well, on the other hand, if you do that, then I would say the the sourcing company, on the other hand, is completely responsible for whatever the, where the money went. If the customer and I give you, let me give you another example with my blocker cards, for example, they they're supposed to protect um, wallets against RFID theft. Now, what we noticed in the very beginning is um, that after some slopes of uh, production, and by the way, also if um, a production went well several times, make sure to surprise your supplier every now and then with another quality control. Because it may be that after three, four cycles, they change something because they, yep. they sniff. There's a small potential of saving a few cents uh, on, on the product. And they may put this in there, but it may cause other problems. My RFID blocker card used to create alarms in the security systems when people walk out of stores. You know, like all of a sudden the, the store systems will start beeping, like beep, 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 beep. And they are in the uncomfortable uh, position of needing to be, you know, searched by the security and look that nobody has stolen something just because all of a sudden the blocker cards were giving an alarm. And those things, when you notice that, like, hey, it is not allowed or it cannot be, it must not be that the product will create alarms with two or three cards in the wallet um, at all. Otherwise, the supplier needs to produce it again. Put this in your invoice or in your performa invoice. Um, and all of those things make sure that to use, again, the escrow, make the uh, the down payment as small as possible. And then, of course, get through the uh, quality control and make sure you let, for example, somebody else ship the goods out. Not necessarily, uh, I mean, I haven't heard it happening yet, but it could well be that, um, you know, one of the suppliers and ships out the products and it's a box of empty, of, of pillows, whatever, while you've ordered something completely different. Um, make sure you get your trusts in there and uh, if absolutely necessary, use an escrow service. I would recommend this at any time possible, um, especially or at any time possible when you're using a new supplier. Because yeah, I had that happen. Somebody inside watches. China, a bit different, a difficult, sorry? Yeah, I had that happen with watches. A whole pallet came in of watches that we ordered and uh, they filled it with lead. So, so, and this, this must have happened in China, but yeah. or at the docks. But they took all of the watches, and there was quite a few, and they just had it, the packages re, redone, and there was just kind of lead in there, just to wait it enough that it it faked its way into the wow. into our warehouse. Yeah. yeah, but luckily we have insurance for that. But yeah. uh, anyways, it can happen. Uh, and that's why you definitely do want to have that inspection service. Uh, another thing you were talking about just like before the podcast about other countries outside of China, where are people going and why? I mean, one of the, uh, again, it's another German customer, why ever he's selling in the U S not even on Amazon, but he's selling so well outside of Amazon that his product, actually the keyword, the long form exists on Amazon as a suggested keyword where it's like, wow, that's insane. But he's selling whatever, 600 to eight, or he, I think he's investing about 600 to $800,000 a month on Facebook and Instagram advertising. Unbelievable. 
Oh. Um, but he, for example, had a product from China originally. And um, he said, hey, Sebastian, that, that was a super lucky punch. I promise you this will never, never, never happen again. It took us only three hours to find a new supplier outside of China um, where his problem were the import tariffs. And in best case, of course, it would be nice if the product was cheaper. I think he had 27% or so um, of import tariffs. And um, in three hours, we found a new supplier in Vietnam. And this one had not only the positive effect of saving those 27% import tax, but also we got it $1 cheaper. Wow. And in the wow, first year, he's selling 300,000 units a year. And this year, roughly about 500,000. So there was three hours of work of saving him additional $500,000 a year by finding a better supplier. Other than now, from now on, of course, every year, because he got a better price. And um, other countries, of course, I mean, what's, what's developing in, in Asia is, of course, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand. But we see a lot of U.S. sellers going to Mexico or sourcing, for example, in the U.S. as well and or Latin America. While us here in Europe, many of our customers are... Um, of course, sourcing in Eastern Europe, Southeastern Europe, because labor rates and so on, of course, are a lot cheaper than in Western Europe. And uh, just to give you a feel of how much that has changed. I mean, I always ask our customers or also others in the, in the FBA community, why are you actually switching? And of course, the majority was shipping cost, shipping time, the longer production times that happen, the lockdowns and so on. And the fewest people, the fewest really uh, usually came as point number five. What about marketing? You know, you can say made in Europe, made in EU, made in USA, made in the Americas. Um, we had others, by the way, um, as well, who once said not made in China and printed this on the packaging. And by the way, a small additional hint, maybe to make your products also a little bit better, where the majority um, of the end consumers may not know what this means. But the official name for China is the People's Republic of China. So why don't you print on your packaging made in PRC? That is the official abbreviation for the People's Republic of China. That's a good and, point. Uh, it's a very, very different thing compared to made in China. If you write in there made in PRC. Now, at the same time, just to give you a feeling of how much that has changed due to the higher shipping costs. Uh, last year, one and a half years ago, we had about 10% of the projects that were sourcing outside of China. Um, we grew now actually in the last, what, 18 months from one employee to 47, um, 46, 47, somewhere around there. Um, and China sourcing, of course, still grew, but the rest of the world just massively overtook it. And now we have about 50%, 5-0% of the projects are sourcing outside of China. So there's a massive, massive, massive influx, of course, um, not only an additional sourcing for us because we're growing and I think we're making ourselves more of a name, but the demand of sourcing in Mexico, sourcing in Vietnam, sourcing in not China for, of course, tons of U.S. sellers. That, that, we found that as well. You know, mm -hmm. with the uh, managed services company I have that, uh, yeah, people are going elsewhere. They're yep. not like the, it used to be your very first thought was China that's my very last thought. I mean, they do know how to pump out product and run a business, but 
just everything that's going on there and everything that's happened over the last uh, couple of years, it's my second go-to now. If I can find it elsewhere, I would rather find it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to cough. So just a sec. I saved everybody's ears. <laughs> okay. So I think that ends, uh, that's the end of the questions from me. Uh, Kelsey, are there any questions from the audience? Yeah. So we have one from Simon. I know we kind of touched on it, but I wanted to see if we can give like a, a rounded yep. answer for Simon. Yeah. Um, he says, oh, I just lost it. I would visit all my suppliers uh, four or five times a year. And this was absolutely critical for building relationships. Since COVID, this hasn't been possible. How do you recommend building those tight relations without the face-to-face -face factory tours or without the face-to-face -face factory tours, breaking yeah. bread and KTV? Um, I mean, again, Simon, this is fantastic what you're doing there. And most of the people, uh, most of the sellers are not doing that. Um, we used to, of course, do the same, especially when we lived in China. I mean, it was super, super easy. This something um, for the ones that you have as existing customers, uh, sorry, as existing uh, producers for you. I mean, they will they will uh, use this for you. Sorry, not use this for you. They will appreciate it already so much for sure. They will remember that. Um, but of course, what are you going to do during COVID? I mean, you can't really go just like you say, fly over. Now it's opening up soon again. But again, the question is how many people now will already be on, on a Chinese New Year vacation? A COVID outbreak is quite a lot right now. So there was still a lot of people. Who wants who to be staying, stuck in China? Who wants to be stuck in China on the other hand as well, unless you want to live there. I have to admit, I mean, we really enjoy China. China is a lovely country, even though it does take uh, quite a while. Also, if you come with a Western or a Western engineer mind to uh, live there but at the same time I mean, what helps us as well if you have wechat or weixin or qq or so and you sometimes you know you build some you you send some nice messages to them maybe even you know a short video message saying hey we wish you a, a chinese a happy chinese new year maybe you know learn how to pronounce the uh, how to pronounce happy or happy chinese new year or all the wishes and whatever you give them and um send them a small parcel you can also on weixin or wechat you could even send, you know, like small red envelopes. Um, this is a typical thing The uh, where some money could be included if you can connect your Weixin or your WeChat to um, to a bank account. You get the typical Hongbaos, which is the red envelope, you know, with some money in there. Find out, for example, what maybe are some traditions right now. And this could be the very best uh, time around Chinese New Year, what do you do? Or the Mooncake Festival, you know, you could also send small presents, uh, the same as some some of your um, suppliers, maybe send you Christmas presents. Think about uh, when it's Mooncake Festival, send them some mooncakes or send them, um, you know, I mean, be careful with, with some of the relationships, whether you send them a watch, maybe don't do that. That's usually considered a, a bad sign because it reminds you of the time and you may die. And or depending on whether you give a knife or so, you know, it could cut the friendship or build a strong friendship. Um, so just read up on the small things and do small, nice gestures. And I promise you, even with this, you're in the top one or two percent of the people who do something like this. Most of the uh, uh, just like we had this topic earlier, uh, many, many sellers expect like, you know, price down, price down, price down. But hey, they they are maybe also business founders. They are also, they're having families there and living in China, believe me, is not cheap. I'm not going to tell you what my apartment there costs. Well, luckily the company paid it, um, but not this company, but I used to be 12 years in a, in a 
big international Fortune 500 company. Um, and everybody needs to, you know, have like the latest gadgets. I mean, status symbols in China are also a very big thing. So always keep thinking they need to earn money. They don't press them down because if they're not making money, they can't feed their families either or their staff. Um, and Chinese are very much about making money. Do small gestures. Bring them, or even if you feel like, you know what, find a way of online and have KTV, karaoke TV, with them through an online shared platform. You just start playing some music and, you know, you get the typical Sweet Home Alabama, whatever else the Chinese, of course, know from the from the English songs. And maybe you you get the War I Need, um, the, the small easy love songs with the Chinese together and read the pinyin. So this could maybe be an idea of building relationships. Send friendly messages, send something like, you know, you appreciate them. A voice message friendly over there, slow English speaking, then, of course, in most of, or depending on how well your, your contact is. Just find some nice small gestures and they will appreciate it because I, I don't think many people do that. So okay. therefore, my praise to you. This is this is really nice that you're actually thinking about it. Okay. All right. The uh, next question is from Andrew. Uh, when getting quotes, uh, FOB or EXW? Depends on what you prefer. Um, I mean, usually, you know, if you want to find your, your own forwarder, I mean, go with Xworks. Um, and then we say, hey, we get all the shipping through. If you say you want them to get a uh, freight on board, whatever you prefer. I mean, I personally usually, of course, like at Xwork um, in, in order because what we do for our customers as well, of course, as well for ourselves, we compare um, logistics forwarders and, and freight forwarders and carriers about the prices because also there you can, you know, it's sometimes maybe only a couple hundred dollars, but hey, a couple hundred dollars is, is going for a nice few fancy dinners. So look into my suggestion, look into, of course, also comparing um, not only transport to the to the harbor, but the full the full transport from factory to your doorstep. All right, awesome. And we have one last question from Luke. Uh, I've been having to listen intermittently, uh, so this may have already been answered. Are there any good ways to find suppliers outside of China? The same as in China, um, I mean, much, much more even. Uh, in China, still, you also find many manufacturers and good suppliers by calling. You know, you have your local team, you have Chinese speakers, you have natives there who, who use QQ, who use Weixin, uh, the WeChat, who may be able to call them or the same way as you would find a supplier here. And you talk to him and you say, hey, uh, sorry, I'm not producing it. But then the first question should be, all right. If you were in that position and you're so much closer to me, to the product solution than what I am at the moment, whom will you call? So make those connections um, also in China. So don't only rely on Alibaba because you'll find a lot of suppliers also inside China through other ways. Now, outside of China, you may have Euro pages. You may um, have global sources. You may have several other web pages who produce outside of China. Even on Alibaba, you can also select... Um, contacts or, or suppliers from other countries, of course, Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, they understood that they can use uh, Alibaba for themselves as well. Um, but many of the more Western countries didn't do it, but there's still maybe another manufacturer in there. As well, you may in Germany use WLW, means Verliefert Bus, who delivers what, um, and or yeah, you may find out where some other products come from by looking into the customs papers and so on. Others than that, 
Google, 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 call, 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 and ask one contact about the next potential contact. And it's 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 not like you press a button, you send an email out. It is a lot of contact work. Okay, very good. I think we're that's it, right, Kels? There's no other questions. That's it. That's it for questions. Okay, so how can people get a hold of you? Um, I think it's the best way here. Check out Signify. Scan the QR code. I'm not sure if that's actually possible. Anybody volunteering trying to scan if it's possible uh, over the distance? I think that's too small. <laughs> that's too small. That's what I think as well. No, in general, just signify.net. Or you may, of course, also find me um, on Facebook, on Insta, uh, sorry, on, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, of course, where we signify as well. If you want to find me personally, it's Sebastian Hertz. Uh, with a few Chinese characters behind there. And they started calling me the connector because I usually help, you know, with the next challenge. So Sebastian, the connector hurts, or I think we'll connect it with you, Norm. Um, others than that, just search for Signify and I think you'll quite easily find a, a book a, there somewhere, book a call button. There we go. All right. So uh, let's have one more commercial and then we'll go to the wheel of Kelsey. Kelsey. A big thank you to our sponsor, Post Purchase Pro, the only complete A to Z done for you real email and text marketing service built specifically for Amazon sellers. Post Purchase Pro creates all of your digital assets 100% for you from marketing inserts, complete sales funnels, email follow-up sequences, and weekly email promotions. They manage and optimize everything for you to drive more sales, get higher ranking, and receive more reviews on Amazon. So check out Post Purchase Pro now to see if you too will see enormous growth like their nearly 500 clients worldwide. That's Post Purchase Pro at postpurchasepro.com slash lunch. Okay, we're back and now it's time for the wheel. Sir Kelsey. Uh all right, here we go. Here is the Wheel of Kelsey. It's time for the Wheel of Kelsey. All right, all right. Here we go. Uh, thank you for everyone uh, entering today's Wheel of Kelsey. We do this every single episode, so make sure you come back Wednesday as well and uh, give it another go. If you are the winner, please email me, k at lunchwithnorm.com. It looks like our oh, winner is Rad. Rad. Congrats, Rad. Congratulations, Rad. All right, Rad. So you know what to do. Just give me that email. Uh, send me that email. And uh, we'll connect you with Sebastian uh, for your contest, for your yep, for winning. Very good. And, Rad, you get the uh, Tariff Terminator as well so you've got the uh the two prizes today okay so sebastian thanks for coming on thanks for helping clarify a few things and um yeah i'd love to have you back um so thank you thank you so much for having me it was a very very nice show oh thanks a lot want more great information don't forget to subscribe by clicking here also if you want to check out our latest podcast click over here